There is no power in the world that can stop the forward march of free men and women when they are joined in the solidarity of human brotherhood. Walter Ruther. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So we talked on the last episode about, you know, that union mindset that's growing across the country, how people are banding together to speak collectively in order to ensure that their voices are heard. Uh, Through unions and civic groups and councils, we see people engaging in collective action everywhere. On the front lines, Workers at Starbucks are still battling a historic anti-union campaign to realize their goal of engaging in collective bargaining process, while the Teamsters are preparing to negotiate a national agreement with UPS. We're updating you on both of those stories today. The little guys fighting a greedy coffee giant and North America's premier union going toe-to-toe with one of the world's largest shipping companies. But first, let's take a dive into our contract. On April 3rd, all employees should have had eight points removed from their attendance record as we transition to a new attendance system for reducing your points. In the past, you had to work 30 days without taking any points to reduce your point total. That's no longer the case. Um, So now your points are going to be reduced based on the hours worked. If you're a first or second shift employee, when you work 160 hours, you'll have eight points reduced from your total. If you're a third shift employee, you have to work 130 hours to get eight points reduced from your total. And the reason it's different there is because third shift works a six and a half hour shift. So it's prorated based on the hours that you normally have to work. Yep. Hours worked is going to include all overtime hours, paid company holidays as outlined in Article 7, and company business travel and union business as well. Uh, One other stipulation is going to be that third and fourth shift powerhouse employees are going to be subject to the 160 cumulative hour threshold. And that's due to the fact that they work a regular eight hour shift on their third shift and rotating shift. Yep. And if anybody's interested, you can review all this information on page 66 of your contract. Important to know one thing I want to throw in on this. It's important for people to know that um, if you get points in the middle of your accumulator, Unlike the old accumulator, you're not gonna. It's not gonna reset to zero. Right. Right. These are cumulative hours that you know. If you take a week off in between, uh, you're still gonna continue accumulating hours until you hit that 160 threshold. Yeah. So we think this is gonna give members a lot more flexibility. That's why the union, you know, bargained for it, and uh, that was definitely relevant to add. Thank you for. <laughs> So at the time that, that we recorded this, um, th- this had just been implemented. That was probably a couple of weeks ago now as you're listening to this. Um, and, and right now we're not sure how they're updating this system. I, in fact, I just got an email uh, asking me how often they're going to update this because folks are going in and looking at their accumulator right now and it's at zero and it should be at like 16 Right, we're a couple of days into that implementation. It should be at 16 
hours and it's not. So um, we're going to have to ask those questions and find out how often that system's being updated or if there's something wrong with it, but um, we'll keep you updated on that. Yeah, and keep in mind, we can pull your punches and we can review what you've worked at any point in time. So it's not like you know, you're know you losing hours if they're not tracking them right now. Every issue will get worked out as we go. So keep an eye on it and call for a steward if you need to. Yeah, we're Teamsters, Jason. We don't pull punches. <laughs> So, so let's let's get into today's subject. We we have a lot to cover. It's another update, right? And and maybe you're listening and saying, "Oh my God, another update." Uh, this is important stuff, right? The the you know we talk about the labor movement on this show, and these two subjects are really important to the development, I guess you would say, of the labor movement. You know today's. Uh, you know, current affairs in the labor movement. Starbucks is at the top of that list, um, and there's a lot going on at Starbucks. So the the workers, you know, they've been fighting to have their voices heard for more than 15 months now since the store in Buffalo voted to unionize. Uh, they were the first store. Now there's 289 Starbucks stores that voted in favor of unionization that's covering about 7,500 workers nationwide. That's a lot, Right. It's a lot, but it's still a really small portion of Starbucks. It Starbucks is. has, I think, 9,000 stores yeah, or something it's only like that. Like, I think it's around 3% of their stores. Yeah. So, uh, listen, it, it's, it's small, but it's big, right? The company is freaking out about it. So, that's the clear message that this is it's serious, right? This is a big deal. Um, whether the company wants to publicly acknowledge that or not is another story, but it's a big deal. So there are another 46 open petitions, so this could bring it up, you know, really close to uh, 350 stores. Uh, there's So there's 46 open petitions um, that could potentially cover another uh, 1,100 or so workers at Starbucks. Um, and exactly zero of these stores have gotten a contract. Yeah, really, they've been refusing to bargain, or at least finding excuses not to bargain, which is one of the most prevalent tactics used by lawyers in all industries to prevent unionizing, Yeah, um, but especially with the Starbucks lawyers here. Yeah, in, in, in fact, um, I, I read a story uh, about something that happened back in February um, up in Seattle, which is the home of Starbucks, right? So the battle is really intense up in Seattle, Washington, because that's the headquarters. Um, there's a bunch of stores up there that have voted for unionization, but Starbucks, again, is refusing to bargain. So back in February, there were four local Starbucks workers um, and two union representatives. They were in a conference room. They're waiting for Starbucks officials to come and negotiate, right? This was a scheduled negotiation session. Uh, two attorneys for Starbucks, they walked into the room. They didn't even sit down at the table, right? They stood. They looked at an open laptop that was on the union side. They had a laptop open, and there was a Zoom gallery, right? They, they were Zooming people into the meeting. Um, about a half dozen workers from around the country uh, who were sitting in on negotiations on Zoom, Um the attorneys slid the company's latest list of negotiating terms. So they haven't even agreed to the terms of negotiations yet, never mind terms of a contract. So they, they slide across the table the terms of, of negotiating, and one of the lawyers said, and I'm quoting, if you want to bargain in person, we'll be down the hall. And they walked out of the room. 
So this is what Starbucks is doing, right? They're finding every reason not to negotiate. Yeah, and the CEO, Schultz, was actually questioned about this. And he his statement was that we should not be held accountable for not showing up when all we ask is to meet face-to-face. Yeah. So again, he's he did a great job in those hearings of trying to spin it and give the right corporate answer. Yeah. But it, he's refusing to bargain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, and, and these are pretty typical delay tactics. Um a lot of companies do this after a, a unionization vote. They use delay tactics and try to try to push off that first contract as as long as possible, especially at a place like Starbucks, right? Because the turnover at Starbucks is is pretty rapid, um, just because of the nature of the job, right? Yeah, I think they probably figure they could wait out some of these people exactly and turn them over. There are several stores where, um, in fact, I read I read an article in doing research for today's episode. Um, and, and at least two stores in Seattle alone only have one employee left in the store that was part of the original organizing campaign. Yeah. I think that's by design. Yeah. And you know, Schultz really contradicts himself because he said that negotiating with individual stores has made it hard to reach a contract, but you're refusing to bargain with people. You you know, (laughs) they walk into a room, they see people and then they leave early. Exactly. Or they see people on zoom and they say, nope everybody's got to be here. Right. So it's literally trying to just bleed the union out of resources. Oh, you need to get what every negotiating member for all 300 stores in one room. That's really frustrating because, and I hadn't read that. Um, the, the company has been pushing back, pushing back, pushing back, like you said, on, on the union trying to bring people into negotiations from around the company via zoom, um, in an effort to negotiate a national agreement. This is the, the, the union's goal, is to negotiate a national agreement. And, and the company is going to turn around and say, well, you know, we're, we're having a really hard time negotiating with the individual stores. Yeah, I think there's been a push to try and force them to recognize them as the bargaining agent for all stores. Sure. I don't know if that's gone anywhere yet. Yeah, it's never going to um, happen. I think we know that. And you might have this later on in the show, but one of the things that they've done is they went and put in wage increases for non-union stores, but withheld them from union stores. Yep. And Schultz's response was actually that he thought it would be illegal to give them the raise because they hadn't bargained with them or something to that effect. Yeah, he said he couldn't. And then um, he's kind of evolved his position to saying, we don't have to. Right. Right. We're in negotiations. We don't have to give that stuff. Yeah. We want to negotiate at the table, not through national activity. You know, it's dirty. It's it's disgusting. so let's talk about some legal action that's taken place because I think that's really significant um, to the story. Uh, back in early March, uh, a federal judge ruled that Starbucks committed, and this is a quote, hundreds of unfair labor practices during unionization efforts at 21 stores in New York alone, just in New York, hundreds of unfair labor practices. Um, the, the ruling goes on, um, detailed in a 200-page order by the judge. Uh, it cited the company's, and another quote, egregious and widespread misconduct demonstrating a general disregard for the employee's fundamental rights. That's what the judge said. So the judge determined that Starbucks illegally disciplined and fired employees, 
um, directly in response to their union activity. He also found that the the company threatened workers. He spied on workers, um, enforced things like dress codes and other company policies more stringently against the union supporters um, rather than the the non-supporters of the union. So all of these things are in a 200-page order by the judge. Um, so the, the judge ordered that Starbucks reinstate seven workers who were fired for union activity, make them whole for all their lost earnings, right? So that's pretty good. Um, he also ordered Starbucks to provide financial restitution for 27 other employees and reopen a store that was closed during the union activity. That's really big, yeah. right? You're going to open that store back up. I heard there was a manager that came out after the fact and basically as like a whistleblower admitted that he was told to go and discipline yeah. union you know, supporters. That's awesome. So um, the judge also ordered that Starbucks immediately begin negotiating at multiple locations. Um, and, and here's to me the biggest thing. It's probably the smallest part of the order, but it, for me it's significant just because of the reaction that it got. So the order also requires that Starbucks has to post a 13-page notice listing its labor violations in all U.S. stores and electronically distribute that notice to all U.S. employees. So that's, you know, that's a ton of employees. Um, Howard Schultz, right after that, um, well, well, sorry, let me, let me finish that. Cause the order also says Howard Schultz and one of their vice presidents have to read that 13 page notice and record it and distribute it. So I think they backed off that a little bit. They said that they had to be in the room during the reading and seen interacting with it. Okay. So he must've gotten his way a little bit there. Sure. But even still, he ends up quitting before that happens, right? Yeah. So yeah, you know, he stepped down. They claimed it was planned. It's yeah. early, you know earlier schedule than they had originally anticipated. Yeah. I have to what? <laughs> I quit. Yeah. I mean, so he he quit and and never did that. I I I couldn't find that he ever did that. Um, I, I don't know offhand. Yeah, I don't think he took part in that. But his response was that uh, Starbucks does nothing that is nefarious and makes decisions based on our people, and we have a track record to prove it. <laughs> That's in the face of being confronted with over 500 unfair labor practice violations and 80 NLRB complaints. And he's only been back for how long? Right. A year. It's it's hard to get your head around. That's a lot of violations, 500 violations. And those are those are violations that have been complained about. Right. Imagine how many things that the company's done and gotten away with. Yeah. Because people didn't complain. Um, so, so Schultz steps down, right? He's no longer the CEO. Um, but he's been testifying in front of a congressional committee recently, um, because they, he first refused, right? And then they, they said they were going to subpoena him. And then he said, oh, well, I'll agree. Yeah. And they did not go easy. <laughs> they did not go easy, but he was, you know, he was defending his position, right? Um, in spite of that 200-page order that the, that the judge released, Schultz stated under oath in these hearings that he unequivocally denies the charges, stating, this is a quote from Schultz, those are allegations and Starbucks has not broken the law. Um, you know, 500 complaints and 80 charges under the NLRB, so almost 600 individual occurrences. 
Um, Chris Murphy, our senator from Connecticut, had something to say about this. He actually responded to that comment in, in the hearings. He said, and I quote, it's akin to someone ticketed for speeding 100 times and saying, I've never violated the law because every single time the cop got it wrong. He said that would not be a believable contention. And he's right. You know, you're accused of something that many times. You got to be guilty at least most of the time, right? Yeah, it's hard to believe you wouldn't be. It's really hard to believe. You know, so many people, so many different stores across the country. And that's what makes me believe that it's really a top-down approach, too. Oh, yeah. It's not like this is an isolated store where there was one union drive and, you know, this bad manager decided to act out. This is something that was really directed from the CEO level down. Absolutely. And he was brought back, in my opinion, to for this purpose. It's what he was brought back for. So, you know, what a lot of people don't know is, um, and, and we said it at the top of the show, that the Buffalo store was the first store to unionize. It wasn't. A Starbucks location, and I can't I, off the top of my head recall where it was, but back in the late 80s, a Starbucks location voted to unionize. Right. And Schultz shut it down but that's immediately. A, and that's actually what led to most of their progressive benefits that they have. Right. Is that union drive from back then. Yep. That's what led them to kind of try and get ahead of the curve. Right. Uh, and I think they lost that edge. And, and they did. I mean, it worked back then, right? It, it staved off um, what's happening now. Um, and, and Schultz thought that using the same tactics would work today, right? Uh, which, back to your point, he he gave raises to all the non-union stores, right? To all the employees at the non-union stores, he, he instituted raises and didn't do it at the unionized stores. And he thought that would work like it did back in those days, right? Let's just increase our benefits. Let's, let's treat our employees a little bit better, and they're going to back off of the union thing. It didn't work. Yeah, and I think what's come out is that a lot of these benefits are not as easily accessible to people as they are implying that they are. So you're finding people that are struggling to meet the minimum hours required to go to school or to, you know, rate for some sort of health care, right? Whatever the benefit may be. Um, like they talk about their college system from what I've read, it's only one school. You have to go to Arizona state really, and you have to do, I think so many hours they reimburse you. Um, but it's difficult to get into. Yeah, Arizona State's not an easy school to get into, right? Uh, so, you know, of course, Schultz continues to defend his position and defend the company. Um, during the, the hearings, Schultz was touting Starbucks benefits, like you said, by saying that the company offers industry-leading benefits, including average hourly wages above 17 hours, uh, access to health insurance, college tuition support, and stock grants. Um, Bernie Sanders, who is the head of the committee that's doing these hearings, um, he asked Bernie Sanders, are you aware of a union contract that has those benefits? Uh, so, first of all, yeah. I think we're comparing apples to oranges, right? For him to ask that question, I assume that the question means, do you know of a union contract in the barista industry? that has those kind of benefits. No, because there there are no union contracts in that industry yet. You have the ability to negotiate 287 of those, right, or 289 of those. 
um, but he's not doing it. So no, the answer is no. We don't know of a contract that has that. It could have that. Um, but you know what bothers me is this is coming from a guy who's worth three point seven billion dollars. Yeah, and he took exception to be co- being called a billionaire. He, he did. did not like it. He started talking about mm-hmm. how he grew up in government housing and yep. came from nothing. Yep. Good for him, yep. right? Great, great success story. Good for him that he went from rags to riches, but still, you're a billionaire. You are worth $3.7 billion. You are a billionaire by definition. You know, how about sharing some of the wealth? How about about closing that gap between CEO pay and, you know, your average Joe pay? Yeah, and for anybody who watched the hearing, if you haven't, I would go back and check it out. Um, But it's pretty amazing all these employees showed up, which nobody's paying their way. I'm sure they're paying their own way to go to these hearings. That's right. They want to have their voice heard. And we've talked about how Starbucks didn't show up to the negotiating table. Well, Starbucks managers and board members all showed up to that hearing. They all left before any of the employees had the opportunity to speak. Yeah. That's maybe the most egregious thing of all. Yeah, and it shows you know you don't want to be called out face to face in front of everybody. So right. you better run out of the room. Yep. But you yeah. spend all that money to bring all those people to that event <laughs> and then you run out. That shows how you bargain in good faith. Right. It shows what you think of of your employees in spite of saying and this is another quote from Schultz, "We want to treat everyone with respect and dignity." However, I have the right and the company has the right to have a preference. And our preference is to maintain the direct relationship we have with our employees. Um, Direct relationship of walking out of the room when you come to talk. When they want to speak. And they were wearing t-shirts that said, we belong together. Yep. That's what the board members wore. Yep. So it's pretty amazing. They call them partners. What kind of partner are you? Yeah. Um, and I guess treating everyone with respect and dignity includes firing 28 union organizers for infractions that are ignored, um, you know, when non-supporters of the union commit them, right? Um, things like this one a girl who's getting a lot of press, she was fired for being three minutes late for work. And, and her coworkers do it all the time, right? Um, and the company was well aware of her situation where, you know, she has childcare issues and things like that um, and kind of a tight schedule between dropping a kid off at childcare and all this stuff. She's three minutes late for work and um, they fired her because she was a union organizer. So t- I don't know if this is the same case, but two days after this hearing, the Starbucks organizer, her name is Lexi Rizzo. She was one of the first at Buffalo. She was terminated, same thing, uh, for being late. She had been on the closing shift on, like, I don't know, a Friday night and the opening shift on a Saturday morning, something like that. And uh, she was a few minutes late, which happens to people. They ended up getting rid of her. She's a seven-year shift supervisor who just happened to be the most vocal, you know, Buffalo employee. So she was... Um, She was thought of highly enough to become a shift supervisor. Right. Um, But because she opened her mouth and supported the union, she got fired for being a few minutes late. And they're saying it's it's for issues that are rules that are on the books that haven't been enforced, that are commonly ignored, that, you know, for years they look the other way and then all of a sudden say, hey, we caught you. And labor law for anybody that's, you know, versed in it at all. You have to have just cause. You have to establish what the rules are, and you have to enforce them equally. That wasn't done here. You know, it's just, it's shocking. Every time we talk about this, it's shocking because, 
you know, Starbucks is one of those companies that a few years ago you looked at and you thought, wow, this is a pretty progressive company, right? They treat people pretty well. Um, and I think that was relatively true, right? But it's not like a Walmart or an Amazon. It's this, you know, behemoth. I mean, they are kind of a behemoth, but it's not the same, right? The Walmart and Amazon make no bones about it, right? They don't treat their employees well. I don't think they even try to say they treat their employees well. They just say, hey, we're massive and we're providing, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs, and that's who we are. Um, Starbucks feels different, right? It feels like a different kind of company, yet they're using those very same tactics and, and taking the same exact stances that an Amazon and a Walmart do, like closing a store that votes to unionize. That's that's a huge thing, right? I mean, it, it takes it takes a massive effort to close a store, and they're willing to do it to yeah. keep the union out. I'm a little less forgiving of the, my view of them. I think that they are, you know, trying to upkeep this corporate image that they've crafted sure. for themselves. They cater to a certain type of customer um, that yep. they believe has strong held beliefs that align with their so-called corporate vision. Sure. But I think the truth comes out when you see how you treat people, when you see how you bargain with your workers yep. and people are starting to see them for what they are, yeah. just like they saw how easily they could access the great benefits. Yeah. And there's, there's no turn in this thing around now. I mean, listen, and you know, the reason that the company is not, um, relenting is because percentage wise, like you said, it's less than 10% of the stores. So it's a small effort on a, on a worldwide stage. Yeah. They probably view this as like a cancer, you know, this is a small yep. thing we can cut out and you yep. know, make go away. Right. But you know, they have unions in other places. Right. So so a lot of their stores are unionized in other countries. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of stores in general, they have these like shock and awe when it comes to unions in the U.S., right. but they deal with them regularly in Europe. That's right, because they're more common and more accepted in Europe. Yep. Um, so which gets us back to needing to change labor law to protect unions and unionizing workers. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're talking about them closing stores Um uh, Bernie Sanders, during these hearings, he pointed out that the first store to unionize um, has been waiting for 500 days to negotiate an initial contract. He he actually asked Schultz to promise that Starbucks would exchange proposals with the union within 14 days of those hearings. Um, Schultz just said, no, not going to make that promise. So they're... He was honest. <laughs> the, for the first time, he was <laughs> honest, right? No, I'm not going to make that promise. He really was impressive at saying the right things, you know, mm. given given the right line to kind of thread the needle. Yeah. Um, you say it's impressive. I say it's just the, it, there's a lack of a beating heart in that chest to me. I mean, he's he's a pretty vile human being, in my opinion. There was a part where... I forget which senator it was, really rubbed his nose in it when he referenced his father, you know, and growing up in public housing, yep. saying that, you know, these workers are your father and you should be ashamed of the way you've treated them. And that's what I'm sitting here thinking. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the folks that are working for him are those people that are struggling and trying to get out of those situations just like he did, right? Just like his father did. His father got him out of that situation. Um, and that's a shame. It's a shame that he's lost sight of that. Um, so at the company's annual shareholders meeting, 
um, shareholders actually voted to approve a proposal um, for an independent assessment of how well Starbucks is adhering to its commitment to workers' rights. So, you know, Schultz is making these promises. Hey, we respect our workers. Um, so the shareholders actually voted uh, in favor of this independent assessment to look at whether or not that's true. Yeah. Um, the, the company encouraged shareholders to vote against that resolution. They did. And then a news article came out and inaccurately said that the board requested this review. And they came out and corrected the news article and said, we did not request this. Exactly. Which is kind of more embarrassing, in my opinion. Yeah. Why would they do that? Yeah. You know, I, you'd think they would just say, oh, yeah, we're committed to this. And, you know, yep. we agree with our shareholders. But instead, they are just listening to people who own their stock who are worried, who said, we're requiring you. We're going to vote for this and you're going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that's telling. It's telling that they even have to vote for a resolution like that. And it's telling that the company said, hey, vote no on this because this is going to turn out bad. Yeah. That's exactly what the company believes and knows, right? That this assessment is going to turn out bad. Right. We know what's under that rock. <laughs> Do not turn it over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um so the union, in my opinion, should be commended for its resolve. Um, it's really hard to maintain what they're doing um, at a place like Starbucks because of what I mentioned before. The turnover is massive, right? The turnover at a place like Starbucks, I mean, the chances of the same employees being there a year after an organizing campaign are pretty slim, right? People move on. Um, people don't make careers out of being baristas, Right. So that's that's a difficult thing to do. Um, this group has um, they've they've maintained for quite a while. Um, and, you know, I think they need our support. Right. I they, think what we're starting to see over time is that whether you turn people over, workers or workers, no matter what industry, we're all going through the same struggles, trying to meet the same goals or you know needs. Yep. And when you put somebody into a job where you don't respect them, you take advantage of them, you're underpaying them, you're making benefits hard to access, yep. you know, you're committing thousands of labor violations. People are going to get fed up, whether it's the current employee or the one that you hire tomorrow. Right. They're going to get annoyed. They're going to end up talking to their coworkers, and hopefully they're going to unionize. Yeah, that's how unions work. Right? But they're not just, in my opinion, you're never going to just wait it out. If you're treating people poorly, they're going to, they're never going to, you know, relent to that. Yeah. So, you know, we're seeing it all over the place, not just at Starbucks. We're seeing it at Amazon. Um, you know, these upstart unions, they're vulnerable, right? The, both of those cases, the, the Amazon union and the Starbucks union, these are upstart unions. Um, the Starbucks union is affiliated with a larger union, but it's still, this is an upstart union. They're struggling to get their feet under them. They haven't gotten a contract. The Amazon union hasn't gotten a contract. And we need to make sure that we're supporting them, right? Not only as individuals, right? When you walk into a Starbucks store, and I know you do it, Jason, I know you, you talk to those folks about unions when you go in there. Um, we need to do that, right? We need to encourage them at an individual level. But I think, you know, I don't want to say I'm calling on Sean O'Brien because I'm not doing that, but I think at a high level at the Teamsters Union, my union, the union that I love and believe in, I think we need to support them in a real way, right? To to yeah. get behind these folks and let a guy like Schultz know that, hey, we're here and we support these folks. Yeah, so I've been waiting for somebody to start kicking this off in Connecticut because unfortunately Connecticut doesn't have a single unionized store. 
Boston had, I think, three to start out. They might have more now. And the Boston Teamsters did get involved. They were walking the picket line with them. They were refusing to send deliveries where there was an active picket line. So as long as there's one member out, you know, picketing that store, they're not delivering to that store from what I've heard. And that's awesome. But we need to tip that scale here in Connecticut. We do. because There's a new Starbucks going in in Stratford. I know. So, I mean, if there was ever a time... Those yeah. are the workers we should go meet. Go, no doubt about go it. Go close that store down. Yeah, close that store that <laughs> the you, one just you just built. Opened. Yeah. And to be clear, they're clo- they closed profitable stores. The I know. stores that they closed weren't stores that were losing money. Nope. This was malicious because of what they're going through with the Yeah, union. in most of those stores, um, they cited, you know, things like safety and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, it, you complained about a drain in our store for right. for years, and you're right. It's, you know, not safe, so yeah. we're closing the store. So instead of fixing the drain, we're going to yep. close the store. And that's a true Insane. story. That I happened with one of the unions. Yep. They, had com- they took one of their complaints and said that's the reason why we have to close it. Yep. Yeah, um, pretty disgusting, but we need to get behind them uh, on a, at a high level, I think. And, you know, what happened in Boston, I don't want to minimize it because it's big, right? For the Teamsters to get behind them and, and do that is big. Um, it's much harder to do in other places, right? Boston is a union town, right? Yep. New York is a union town. Um, pretty easy to get us behind them in places like that. But when you start spreading out and going to places like Seattle or maybe Buffalo, New York, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So, um, but you know, the Teamsters are big, right? We're a big union and we're a powerful union and we can get behind that stuff, I think. Yeah. Everything takes time and money and that's the hard part trying to organize. But that's why it's so important for members to do what we said and get out there and just kind of have the conversations with people or at least let them know that you support them having a fair wage and good working conditions. Yep. So that stuff is happening, right? Uh, A lot going on at Starbucks. And as always, we're going to continue to update you uh, when things develop at Starbucks. And I think we'll be updating you at least a little bit um, in a lot of episodes in the future. Uh, But let's, let's move on to a huge story, right? As we speak, negotiations are beginning i think when this airs it's going to be this you know like within days of of the kickoff of um of the ups national contract talks so let's talk about that a little bit um get us like maybe kick off that conversation um so 340,000 teamsters work at ups yeah that's about a quarter of all teamsters yeah they are without question our largest employer it's our largest contract um, in fact, um, the national contract that, you know, they call it the national master agreement. It's the largest private sector collective bargaining agreement in all of North America. Yeah. Right? So for anybody that doesn't know, there's a master agreement for the whole country. And then there's supplemental agreements that go, you know, regionally. Yep. Yep. So, um, this national agreement is set to expire on July 31st. Uh, negotiations for a new agreement are, are, like I said, beginning right now as you're listening to this. Uh, and the stakes are pretty high, right? There are a bunch of high-ranking teamsters that have chimed in on on what they expect, including uh, Tom Mari, who is a guy that we're you know familiar with. He's the he's the head of Local 25 up in Boston. He said, UPS Teamsters have given their sweat equity to this company over the last five years and sacrificed during the pandemic. Now it's time for UPS to pay up. There will be no concessions. Yeah. All right. So um, those are pretty strong words. Um, 
Sean, Sean O'Brien had stronger words. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one from him. He said, we have 15 days before we sit across the table from this white-collar crime syndicate known as UPS. We will not take and accept what UPS gives us. We are going to demand, take, and punish UPS if they don't give us what we deserve. I've met with UPS members all over the country. They've got fire in their eyes, burning desire in their belly to take this company on. And then he later added... All UPS cares about is the bottom of their balance sheet. So when we go to the table, there will be no niceties. We'll have rank-and-file members on the committee calling out this company. We are not afraid to shut down UPS. Our message to UPS is simple. When you take on 350,000 UPS Teamsters, 1.2 million Teamsters across the country, buckle your chin strap because it's a full-contact sport. I love that. I get, every time I hear him say that, I get goosebumps. And that's, uh, listen, it's true. Right. We're in this with our UPS brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, we build helicopters in Stratford, Connecticut, but um, we're right there. Um, this is the first uh, UPS agreement under the O'Brien Zuckerman leadership. Yep. So it's definitely I think people are watching. They want to see is this truly the new type of you no know, question. Teamster movement that we've been hearing or what's yep. it going to be? And keep in mind. Sean O'Brien was on the negotiating committee in right. the, during the last negotiations, and Hoffa pulled him off. Yeah, right. Be, He's been on numerous. He, yeah. he has, but but in the last contract, he was on the negotiating committee and got pulled off by Hoffa because he wanted to get tough on UPS, and Hoffa wasn't having it. Yeah, he Hoffa was... wanted to kowtow with the company, and and Sean didn't like it and spoke his mind and ended up on the outside looking in because of it. And that's when he was, I believe, head of the package. To division. Yep. So, I mean, he was really in charge of those negotiations, even in the past. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was the event that, that led to where we are today. Right. I think that was the event that made Sean say, okay, I'm going to run against this guy. Yeah. And that's the difference that we're seeing this time around is he's the guy now and, and his vision is going to come to fruition. Yep. Um, so the, the last person I want to quote anyway, is, um, Fred Zuckerman. So Fred Zuckerman, he's a UPS guy too. Right, he's been involved with UPS, I think, his entire Teamster career. Um, he said it pretty plainly. He said, "Quote: We told UPS very clearly we want a strong contract for our members, and we want it done on time, on August first. If we don't have the contract that our members deserve, there will be no UPS Teamsters working." Right. So this is not a negotiations that's going to go beyond the expiration of the contract. They're not going to extend it. We're they're on strike on August 1st, if they don't have a contract on July 31st. Yeah, Zuckerman said, we started this battle back in uh, with UPS back in August. And about Sean, he said, I'm working with the best general president today. He's tough when he tells the company we will settle for nothing less than a strong contract, no concessions. If we don't have the contract you deserve on August 1st, there will be no UPS Teamster working on August 1st. If UPS doesn't deliver, we will pick a fight with this company. That's awesome. And and listen, that's kind of the tone, right, that the Teamsters are setting. Rocco Kahlo said it, right? And, and he didn't have to threaten it with Sikorsky Aircraft. But we went into those negotiations that we, we finished up a few months back um, saying no concessions, right? And that's what we did. We didn't give any concessions to this company. So that's the tone right now in the Teamsters union. We know what we deserve, Right. We know what a good contract looks like and we're not gonna we're not gonna settle for anything less. Yeah, just like Starbucks, you know, with the lip service of calling their people partners. Yep. You know, the same thing here. 
they called all these UPS workers and we saw their value during the pandemic when you couldn't go out and get things very easily. Yep. And all these people continued going to work, keeping our country running, even when supply chains were screwed up and logistics were hard. Right. You know, everybody showed up and they were heroes. Let's see that payment now because there were stock buybacks. There were dividends over this period of time. So it's not like UPS is truly broke. These are wealthy companies they should pay for their people. And 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 they're I would argue that they're doing better now, right? Because the pandemic changed the face of this business. Yeah, the face of shopping for it, sure. No doubt about it. The, the there was a shift towards online shopping during the pandemic that hasn't gone away. Yeah. And these guys and girls are the, the ones who are out there delivering the packages, you know, putting the blood, sweat and tears into the work. Um and the company has to compensate them, right? Most of these folks who drive these trucks are, you know, or load the trucks in the warehouses, they went from an average of five days a week to now an average of six days a week. And they're working sun up to sundown. Yeah, you know, they work until the truck's unloaded. Yeah. You hear these stories about guys who they get up and go to work to drive their truck. Um, on air conditioned truck, on air conditioned trucks. We we'll did get do, to that, right? We did that episode. Yeah. But, um, you know, they, they get up and go to work when their kids are still in bed and they get home from work when their kids are back in bed. Right. Yeah. And they don't see their kids. Uh, you know, that's not okay. Right. It, it's okay if that's what you want to do. Right. If you're, if you're volunteering to do that, but you know, if there's pressure to do that with no extra compensation, that's not okay. So let's talk about some of the issues that um, the union is bringing to the table, right? What does the union want to talk about in these negotiations? One big thing was the elimination of what they call the 22-4 workers. So yeah. that refers to workers who are technically part-time or hybrid workers and therefore make less money, um, but they work full-time hours. Right. So it, it's kind of that two-tier mentality that they're trying to eliminate yep. there. Yep. Yeah. These are workers who, like you said, are paid less um, because, you know, they're not considered full-time workers, but they look like full-time workers, right? If you go into a UPS warehouse and try to pick out the 22-4 folks, you can't tell the difference, yep. right? They're working the same hours. They're they're full-time employees, but they're not getting full-time pay. They're not getting full-time benefits. Um, so the union's looking to actually eliminate that job classification. Yeah. So the other thing that they're dealing with in this industry is a huge, huge increase in the amount of surveillance done on drivers um, with new technology coming out, you know, from dash cams to just computers monitoring speeds, monitoring where you're going, GPS. Um, It's something that they're facing all the time now. A lot of these drivers, not at UPS per se, but have cameras in their cabs facing them, facing the road, facing behind them. Um, so they're constantly under a microscope, and that's something that's definitely a challenge if you're trying to get through your day. Yeah, so I think the, um, you know, and to your point, they've been dealing with driver surveillance for a long time, right? They've been, they've had GPS in their trucks forever, um, for many, many years, and the GPS monitors where they are, and it even monitors, you know, if they're driving in, uh, if they're driving forward or in reverse and things like that. And they get reprimanded if they go in reverse too many times a day. I, I don't, I don't even get it. Um, but the the driver facing cameras is something a little bit different, right? The company tries to justify it for safety reasons, and it's clearly not for safety reasons, right? It's to it's to watch what the drivers are doing, and um, that's not okay. 
No, right. and we just talked about Starbucks, how they look the other way for so many people and then go after the one union person they don't like. Yep. And that's got to be a concern when you have surveillance all the time. Yep, absolutely. And and we've heard of that from, I don't want to dime out specific people, but some of the UPS guys I talk to all the time yeah. talk about how, you know, if you haven't been fired yet, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so the union's looking to eliminate those driver-facing cameras, I believe. Um, you know, it says reduce or eliminate driver surveillance, but I think they're trying to eliminate the driver-facing cameras because they don't see a use for them. Um, safety measures, you know, you talked before about air conditioning. The trucks aren't air conditioned. I think some are. Uh, I don't think the big brown trucks no, are, not. are air conditioned at all. They're not. We talked about this with a lot of the UPS guys this yeah. past summer. Many of you probably remember the video of the guy, a UPS guy delivering a package, and it was a ring doorbell video. Yep. Passed out on the person's front steps, right. fell over from heat exhaustion. Yep. So that's a big deal. Um, in fact, last summer, a bunch of UPS truck drivers um, engaged in this social media um, event where they were posting thermometer readings inside their trucks on social media. Some of those postings showed temperature readings of 120 degrees. Yeah. And we talked about this on the episode we did about that, if you want to go back and find it. Um, but one of the things that they face is when you overpack the back of a truck to make more money, you're now making it so much harder to find a package and they're having to spend time in this, you know, 130 degree, whatever it is, sweat box. Yeah. Looking for a package because they're overloaded. It's insulated by cardboard boxes. Yeah. Right. So the heat can't escape. Yeah. Now, right? last week we talked about OSHA getting on Amazon's back because yeah. they're so profitable, but they're also, you know, just blowing through workers. And especially in small rural, uh, rural areas, they're really ending up with whole communities with injuries from working at Amazon. Yep. And you have to worry about those kinds of issues, you know, at UPS even, when For you're sure. envying the fact that they have, you know, less restrictions um, and they're making more money, you have to, and you're competing with them as a business. Right. You have to worry about where that rat race leads you. Yeah. So safety is a big deal. But, um, but Amazon, sorry to cut you off, yeah. I believe has air conditioning in their vehicles. Right. Amazon's better than UPS. And I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at overall benefits, the Teamsters at, at UPS get a much better deal. Absolutely. And and listen, I think when we're done with this contract, there are going to be some new safety standards that apply to the drivers in those situations. And I think Amazon's going to get what they have coming for them in terms of hitting you know a point where they struggle to hire. Sure. And, and they know that. They're going to go through too many people. Yep. I mean, they're already, you know, hiring gig workers, right? I, I can go deliver Amazon packages on the weekend. Yep. If and if I you get fired, to. you could go to the contractor across the hall and <laughs> get hired. That's what they do. That's right. Yep. So, um, yeah, they're, so they're, you know, they're talking about um, hydration and cooling rules, things like that. I don't know what that looks like, but, um, you know, that's some of the stuff being talked about. Um, that will be subjects of bargaining in these negotiations. Um, scheduling is a big deal as well, right? Yeah. So since the pandemic, as we said, shipping has dramatically increased. This spike caused a lot of people to work a sixth work day. It's becoming kind of commonplace there. Yeah, they even have a nickname for it. I can't remember what it is. I didn't write it down, but they oh. have a nickname for that. That I think they call it the sixth punch or something like that. Oof. Yeah. But yeah, long shifts are just far too common. Um, many workers go to work before their kids wake up and they come home after they've gone to bed. And really, you know, that's not a life anybody wants to live. Nope. Um, higher wages, I guess that's going to be on the docket, right? Uh, of course. 
Uh, I think UPS workers do pretty well, but um, we do pretty well too, and we got some pretty good raises. Inflation is insane today, right? And it costs everybody more money to live, and so we're going to be looking for we're going to be looking for more money for the UPS driver. I keep saying drivers, but UPS workers. Yeah, I think. Uh the Senator Mark Wayne Mullen made a mistake and said that Teamsters at UPS make around thirty-five grand, which Sean O'Brien quickly corrected. Right. But if anybody hasn't seen that video, that was uh, pretty entertaining to watch. Yeah. Sean O'Brien, our president, put uh, one of the senators in his place when talking about UPS and literally picked a fight with him. Yeah. So he's not afraid to pick a fight with a U.S. senator. He's certainly not afraid to pick a fight with UPS. Yep. Um, so the company, of course, is pushing back already. They're not, you know, it, it's funny because UPS has taken a really laid back approach to this publicly anyway, right? They're saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. A couple of tweaks to the current contract and we'll be good. The rhetoric coming from the union doesn't seem to match what the company's position is. Um, we'll see how that goes. May, hey, maybe UPS is going to sit down and open up the purse strings and and negotiate fair terms of this agreement readily, and we won't have a problem. But I'm not sure I believe that because they're already, you know, they're doing that pre-negotiation talk, um, projecting a quote bumpy year for UPS. Um, you know, saying that COVID restrictions in China are still pushing down their profits because UPS is pretty big in China. Um, the company says that they're, they have to cut costs this year and raise prices. Um, you know, they're going to reduce capital expenditures by about $200 million, um, and they're raising their prices by 6.9%. So, you know, they're making all these moves to make it look like they're struggling. And, um, you know, the, the Teamsters, I don't think, are, are fooled by that. Um, in fact, one of their spokesmen said, quote, when you see these cloudy projections, what you also see is an $8.6 billion dividend and buybacks. Our members know what this company makes. They know the finances of the company, and they know that they are what makes this company money. They want their share of the profitability. So, you know, we're saying all the right things. Hey, you can say that you're struggling, UPS, but um, maybe so are we, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, it's not going like, you know, as well as you had hoped. When they kicked off, they had 11 supplemental negotiating committees that kicked off last week. And the company came forward and said they wanted to negotiate cost-neutral agreements. Um, the Teamsters came out and gave them a hard no. We're not looking for anything cost neutral because of the profits, dividends that you just said. Um, but they sat down and some progress was made by the union, but they saw a lot of backsliding by the company. Um, the union was reminding them, you know, we've got a fast approaching deadline here. We need to make some progress. And it seemed like UPS negotiators either chose to ignore the economic proposals altogether or they asked that those proposals be paid for with concessions elsewhere. Um, so it's not looking very promising to start. We'll see what happens with it. Yeah, and, and listen, this has, just think, right? Just think about the ramifications of a strike it's, at UPS. It would be huge. 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 There's it, already speculation, you know, can the post office fill in? And, they can't. You know, they, the post no. office can't do their jobs now. No. Uh, I mean, um, you know, everybody listening knows, right? You, you can't even count on the post office anymore to get a letter delivered, never mind a package. Um yeah, the, I mean, the ramifications are really big. You, 
you know, everybody listening to this show, I'm, I'm sure does some online shopping, gets stuff delivered, um, without UPS, that stuff's not getting delivered on time. Your stuff is going to be sitting in a warehouse waiting to be delivered because yeah, UPS is going to hire scab drivers, right? They're going to hire... They're going to can open their trucks. Yeah, exactly. They're going to... They're gonna, it, it's going to be a mess. They're going to hire scab drivers. They're going to hire scab warehouse workers to load the trucks. These folks aren't going to know what they're doing. Um, and it's going to be a mess. You're yeah. going to be lucky to get a package. And the supplemental committees, they're holding firm. They're asking for basic things, um, more paid time off, like Steve said, stronger seniority and bidding language, improved grievance procedures, and stronger language against uh, subcontracting. This company made $13 billion in profit last year. Why do you have a need to subcontract more right. if you're making $13 billion? Because it's all about, all about the shareholders. Yep. Right? That's like every big company out there. It's all about the shareholders. Um, have you heard of WeatherTech? I've, you know, I think I've heard an ad for them on this show. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about WeatherTech. This the UPS is just another one of these big companies that's going to kowtow to their shareholders and not care about um, their workers. They're going to try to give the bare minimum, you know, as little as possible to get a signature on the contract. I don't think that kind of uh, negotiating tactic is going to work this time around. No, it's it's a different day in the Teamster movement. Yeah. So um, we're going to continue to keep you updated on this. Like I said, um, negotiations are just kicking off as you're listening to this. So we're probably going to give you some kind of update on every episode, just even if it's just a five-minute update on what's going on, what we're hearing from the Teamsters. Uh, both Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman are going to be at the table, uh, which is really unusual, right? Um, this is a huge contract, as we said, and the head of the Teamsters Union is usually involved. But I think Sean O'Brien is going to probably be there every day, and I think Fred Zuckerman is going to be there every day. And and um, that speaks pretty loudly to the importance of this contract. Okay, so we have upcoming events, right? Yeah, so we've got our April membership meetings coming up. Connecticut's going to be April 19th. Alabama is going to be the 25th. Uh, Maryland will also be the 25th. And Florida will be April 27th. Okay. And then we've got the TVC Golf Tournament. That'll be on uh, June 24th at Whitney Farms Golf Club in Monroe. If you want to sign up for that um, for the golf tournament, you can go on our website at teamses1150.org. Um, click on the events page and you can um, see all the information about that golf tournament. You can also download a registration form. You can even, if you want to get a, a sponsor involved in that tournament, there's a sponsor packet available too. Um, you know, you know, somebody who owns a small business, get a couple of hundred bucks out of them to sponsor this tournament. Yeah. Um, and all that TBC stuff. is a 501 registered company. So yep. it's a tax write-off, I believe, if yep. you donate to them. It's a Absolutely. great cause, and you can kind of save some tax money at the same time. Yep, and um, so give O'Shane Warren a shout-out if you want to volunteer for that that tournament because, um, you know, they're going to need some help uh, yep. to get everything going. So, yeah, if you're um, interested, TVC at Teamsters1150.org, or you could reach out. They have their own social media page. Follow along there. Yep. Okay, nothing else? That'll do it. All right. So um, that's going to do it for this episode. I think, um, you know, we, we covered a lot of material. And as I said, we're going to keep you updated on 
the national uh, negotiations for UPS. But as always, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following us. If you're not following the 10 to 12 podcast right now, shame on you. Go on Podbean right now and follow us. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. If you love it, let us know. If you hate it, let us know. But let us know what you think. Email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you again.